Thank you for joining us. We've made it through another month, and now we are in October of this global pandemic. We're going to make it, guys. 2020 is almost over. But while we're in it, let's do as much as we can to help people that are suffering from mental illness. October supports Mental Illness Awareness Week, October 4th to October 10th, but we're dedicating the entire month to talking about mental health, mental illness, depression, anxiety, OCD, addiction, alcoholism. And we are very happy to have you here to contribute to helping each other get better. If you are thinking of suicide, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255. We need you here. Welcome to part two with Ken Donaldson, licensed mental health counselor, author, and so much more. Um, I have his book right here, and the pen means I'm reading it. So marry yourself first, which I love, and I want to I want to talk to you a little bit about the book today. But it is mental illness week this week, you know. Um, although we don't need a hashtag or um, a month to have these conversations, it certainly does bring great awareness to what we're trying to do, which is to really navigate through this conversation and make it a little more comfortable for everybody. So Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me back, Sharon. I appreciate it. And if you asked uh, random people, if they knew that it was Mental Illness Awareness Week, if you asked 100 random, random people, I think at least 99 of them would say they had no idea. I'll be honest with you, last month when you contacted me, at that point I did not know that was National Suicide Awareness Prevention Month. I didn't know. Yeah. And I work in the field. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little embarrassed to admit that. So no, it's great. I didn't know either, Ken. I mean, and I think that everybody that goes into this world and, and maybe is involved a little more in media the reason that I know about all these months is when I released my book last year about mental health and my own road to broken road. Um, I had to know in order to get the information out to the news stations, like they're not just going to randomly talk about mental illness. Ken. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's a very yeah. subject that, that, and that's part of it is that it, it, it doesn't get uh, the airtime typically until you have somebody that does something awful mm-hmm. or a celebrity that uh, you finally find out has got a bipolar diagnosis or something like that. Then you, then you hear about a mental illness. But mm-hmm. other than that, it slides under the radar and uh, it's devastating. It, it mm-hmm. has devastating effects, obviously, for the person, but for families and communities, it's, there's, a, there's a lot that most people don't know or understand about mental illness and, and mental health. Yes. And you sent me a really great article that just popped up on your feed this morning about, you know, raising children and having these conversations about mental health, mental illness, 
what, what were your thoughts on that article? I mean, it was really a, a great article. I'm going to share it later. Yeah, I thought it was the timing of it was just perfect for us getting together. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the essence of it suggests that um, really the parents play a huge role in uh, their children's uh, mental health. And so one of the, the pieces, uh, no big surprise, that kids that come from families in which one or both of the parents, for example, uh, suffer from anxiety, are five times more likely to suffer from anxiety themselves. And it's the same thing with depression. Um, and it's the same thing with addiction. Um, so unfortunately, there's a lot of parents, if you think about it, that's they're, they're struggling with anxiety or depression, and they think the best thing is to not let the kids know because they don't want to get the kids upset. So they sort of cover it up. But at a certain age, you know, first of all, kids pick up on vibes. They don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. But at a certain age, kids start to understand, like, something's wrong with mom, something's wrong with dad. They don't have the vocabulary for it. And because the parents have been trying to hide it, it, it ends up being the elephant in the living room. And, uh, you know, as kids get older and older, get to be teenagers, they recognize that there's an elephant in the living room and just because of the influence uh, and we don't know that much about the biology we don't we don't know that much about genetics there's certainly some some indicators that suggest that there may be some correlation but just growing up in that environment by itself is going to have an effect on children so whether they end up becoming anxious or depressed or possibly get involved in some kind of substance abuse or addictive behavior just as a way to cope with the chaos at home, the, the, the unspoken anxiety. Yeah, I thought it was so interesting when they talked about when a child is crawling and from the expression of the parent as they're crawling, whether it be them you know, panicked because they're going to fall and hurt themselves or they're just like, you know, calm and come on. You know, they're picking up on all of these small cues that really set us up for how we're going to communicate how we feel and what we're thinking, especially when it comes to mental illness. I want to read this one um, piece that I sent to you that really um, stuck out to me. Emotional suffering is inevitable. Life is painful and uncomfortable at some point for all of us. If you never experience these feelings, well, I have some bad news for you. You're likely neck deep in denial or toxic positivity or both. And it isn't benefiting anyone, least of all yourself. I, it, and so let, let's just for a moment, if we can, talk about toxic positivity for a moment. Yes. I, I posted something uh, on all my social media uh, sites last week about it. And I got some very interesting responses. And, and so the toxic positivity is that, you know, people, part of the downside of this personal development movement that we've been in for quite a number of years now is that people are being encouraged to look at the positive, the, you know, the good. 
And sometimes people do it to the point where they're not willing to look at reality. They're not, you know, somebody who's clinically depressed, somebody who is, has a, a clinical level of anxiety disorder to say, you know, if you just change the way you think, you'll feel better. Right. There might be a little bit of truth to that, mm -hmm. but there's a lot more to it than that. And, and, and unfortunately, what happens sometimes is that people, even though their intentions are good, when they're coming across with this toxic positivity with somebody who's struggling with depression or anxiety who can't get out of their own stuff, that person ends up usually feeling some level of shame. Like mm -hmm. I can't do it. You know, yeah. they're, they're, and they nod their head. Yeah, I know I should be thinking more positive. I should get up and go mm -hmm. for a walk every morning. I should journal. I should, I should, I should, I should. I've got a t-shirt that says, I will not should on myself. No, I love that. Yeah, and I show it to my clients at time that are shoulding because the shoulds, when we, if you think about it, we start shooting on ourselves. All we do is we end up feeling guilty, especially for somebody that's already feeling low, that's already struggling with anxiety or depression. So yeah. essentially these toxic uh, positivity dynamics they unfortunately sometimes create some shame and they not that they intend to right but it's it's so positive that they're not dealing with reality yeah i mean i think that there's a lot of parents if they were to really get honest with themselves would admit that they have done that maybe with a child that suffers from depression or suffers from anxiety and it's absolutely not intentional hence why we're having these conversations right Nobody actually, I don't think people go, oh, I'm going to tell you, you should go out and exercise once you've told me that you can barely get out of bed. They think that they're helping. Right, exactly. And just like you said, when in fact it is shame. And I, I mean, I can speak from my own personal experience. It's certainly what I felt when I was told, you know, you should put the blinds up and go outside. You just need some sunlight. And I was like, well, shit, I wish it was just sunlight. I need it, right? Yeah. But who, who knew and who was teaching the generations before us? So the one good thing, right, Ken, just to tie it back to what we were discussing before about having these months that pay attention to mental illness or suicide prevention and awareness is that we get to talk about this because it certainly was not an open conversation when we were growing up, right? Yeah, it's unfortunate. And it's, you know, it's, it's something for me as we were talking before we got on the show, it, 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 if there's a legacy that I would like to leave, it is uh, in the realm of having these conversations on a regular basis. And I, I believe that the only way that's going to happen is that the major institutions have to step up and get educated, and, uh, including and especially our education system and start teaching children about mental health, emotional wellness, uh, relationship health, uh, things of that matter. So, so it's not just, pardon me? Spirituality. It's spirituality. Well, you gotta be, spirituality in the education system is gonna be a challenge, but I agree. I, I, I think that's something that, that certainly is a piece of this. Mm -hmm. um, 
I like to look at, at people from a holistic perspective. So looking at not only what's going on with them mentally and emotionally, but also looking on what's looking at what's going on with their relationships. And that's, you know, their friendships, their primary relationship. Uh, what are they doing socially? Are they involved? What are they doing spiritually? What are they doing with their free time, recreation, creativity? You know, how are they doing uh, financially? And really looking at the whole picture. And I have a lot of people that when they first come in to, to see me, and the initial session is, for me, more of, of, of history and background. And at least 50% of the time when I ask people, so how was your family of origin? What was it like growing up in your family? People will say, I came from a great family. Yeah, I said, okay, that's super. What made it great? Oh, you know, they, they gave me everything I wanted, everything I needed. Okay. And so um, your parents are still together? No, actually, they got divorced when I was five. Mm. And I go, wait a minute, you just told me you grew up in a great family. That uh, Getting divorced when you're five years old really isn't so great. But, right. but because that was the spin that this person had to put on it to deal with it, to cope with it, they, you know, they came away with, I, I, this was an okay family. Well, if that's their model of an okay family, then guess what they're going to be attracted to when they become adults? Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably something a little less than fully functional. Yeah. And don't you think that a lot of people compare their situations? You know, I remember um, uh, lots of my friends growing up telling me, things like, well, at least we're not, well, at least we're not, well, at least yeah. we're not. And we do, we create that picture that you were just mentioning, like, at least we're not as bad as this one, at least we're not as bad as this one. And that word should comes to mind when you, you say these things, like you, you should all over yourself, right? Like, you shouldn't feel this way. Look at the family you come from. You shouldn't feel this way. Look at the home that you live in. You shouldn't feel this way. You go to private school. You shouldn't feel this way. And it's really, it takes a toll, I think, on everybody's um, mental health. I want to, um, you sent me these wonderful statistics. Now, there's so many. Yeah. get to all of them. Yeah. But I picked out a few well, that I, yeah, it's, it is, it is, it actually brought a tear to my eye when I read it because, because, um, I've always admitted I'm, I've never been the greatest at math. So when I see percentages, uh, they don't hit me as hard as when I see the millions yeah. underneath the percentage. The actual numbers, right? Ooh, okay. So uh, most people who die by suicide have a diagnosable mental disorder, most commonly a depressive disorder or a substance abuse disorder. Right. Four times as many men than women die by suicide. However, women attempt suicide more often than men. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so the interesting correlation, and there's all sorts of, of theories about that, um, and they're all theories. We don't really know the truth about it. Uh, it could just be that men, because we typically tend to be a little bit more aggressive, and we also, because of the way our, our brains are a little bit different, we're logical and analytical. So it's easier for a guy 
to go from point A to point B just to complete whatever the project is. Right. And, and a, a woman, on the other hand, um, now a lot of times one of the one of the theories is that you know well it must be that they're they're just it's a cry for help. It's like it you know it doesn't matter whether it's a man or a woman, and it doesn't matter whether the suicide is it goes through or not. They're all cries for help. Unfortunately, it's uh, when it's completed, it's uh, as many people say, it's a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Right. Um, but it there's still the the numbers there, and and there's nobody. Think about this. There's nobody that would seriously attempt suicide unless there wasn't something major going on with them mentally, emotionally, relationally. Absolutely. Absolutely. This one, um, I'm still kind of shocked over. Um, the highest suicide rates in the U.S. are found in Caucasian men over age 85. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, that's, you know, neither, neither you are, or I are there. Okay. Right. I, I watched both of my parents past 85. And, and fortunately, they were um, relatively healthy people. However, I will say they were both on antidepressants mm -hmm. and they didn't start their antidepressants until they were in their seventies. Wow, yeah. So, yeah, and I think that for both of them, it was shocking for when my mom started on it, I was blown away. She had just resigned as from being the church librarian for 25 years. And it was like a week or two later, she wouldn't get out of bed. Mm. And so that's a, that's a classic depressive episode that was, I believe, caused by her loss of identity. I mean, she had, that was who she was. She was the church librarian, Miss Betty. Everybody yeah. knew her. Right. And now, now what was her identity? She didn't really have one. Yeah. And I, you know, there was mental, there was some mental illness in her family background. So she may have had the genes for it. But as soon as she started on the antidepressants within two weeks, she was back to her normal self and she was on them right up until she died last year. So. Mm -hmm. so Hey, quick interruption on this amazing podcast, but we have to tell you about our awesome sponsor, Thai Technology. They are so cool, and they're here in Tampa Bay, if you're a Tampa Bay listener. Thai Technology is the best voice over IP business phone service company out there. How do I know this? I used to work in telecom before I work with doctors. That's right. So I know me a good phone system when I see it. Plus, they are integrated with Zoom. They are the only ones that are integrated with Zoom. And if you mention this podcast or you mention the Facebook show, they're going to hook you up with three months for free. Follow them on Facebook and on Instagram. Thai Technology Rocks. Um, but, but there's a lot of people that at age 85, a lot of people have, a lot of men, they've lost their spouses. Um, they're 
they're having health issues, they may be having financial issues, they may not, uh, they may be disabled in some way from doing much of anything. So the level of hopelessness Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's obvious, and uh, you know they are oftentimes on medications, and so the easiest way, you know, is just to I'm just going to take some extra meds and go to sleep and not wake up. Yeah, you know um, that loss of community, you know, is such a big piece. Um, it's it's kind of it's well, it's very sad. I mean, especially to know what's gone on throughout this pandemic about all of those people in the nursing homes that were not only dealing with the isolation of not being able to see their families, on top of that, their you know own lack of being able to hug and see somebody that they care and love. It's, um, it was very, very um, sad to read that statistic. Well, all of them are sad actually, Ken. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but I wanted <laughs> you to have some real life statistics. Yeah, no, it's, this is important, but this is, however, suicide is also one of the leading causes of death in adolescents and adults ages 15 to 24. Yeah, so there you have the two extremes. Yeah. And so the, the 15 to 24, there's a lot of things going on, if you think about it, developmentally between the ages of 15 and 24. So a lot of change going on. Yeah. Change equates to stress. And if we get too much stress, something's, something's going to break. Uh, and oftentimes, it, what breaks is our, our mental wellness. Yeah. And so there's uh, depression or there's anxiety. Uh, some of these people have been through trauma in their lifetimes. And so they're sort of behind the eight ball just to start. And not having a whole lot of resources available, not having this being an open conversation, some people just don't think that there's anything else to do but to end their life. Mm -hmm. So once again, we come back to this is a very important conversation for us to be having all of the time with everyone, Not not just one week a year. Right. We're going to continue throughout this month and probably through the holidays. Good. Yeah, because, you know, I have a feeling that it might not be the same these holidays. I'm thinking you're right. Oh, my goodness. All right. So near and dear to my heart is my LGBTQ community. Um, The percent of individuals who identify as LGBTQ with mental illness, 37%. Which equates the number of individuals who identify LGBTQ with mental illness 3.9 3.9 million. And that's the people who identify. Right. So I would put an asterisk next to those I numbers. I, I would put an asterisk next to all these numbers because there's a lot of people that are not going to admit to their depression, their anxiety, their trauma, their addiction. There, and there's a lot of people in in that community that they're afraid to come out. And so, you know, that's what we know. Mm -hmm. And and that alone is, is cause for serious alarm. Yes. 37%. It's huge. I mean, you know, that's more than one out of every three. And such a high addiction alcoholism rate. 
Yes, it's, you know, it's an unfortunate dynamic. It, the good news is that we are having more open conversations about it. Mm -hmm. And there is certainly a lot more support today for it than there has been in the past. Um, so, I, in fact, we, uh, I'm involved in the Suncoast Mental Health Counselors Association. We're actually having a, a training in January that's uh, going to address some of the issues specifically with that community, specifically with the transgender community, mm, um, which is uh, a community that um, really is so misunderstood and misdiagnosed and uh, really, it, it, it's a challenge, that community. So we have somebody that's an expert that's going to be presenting on that, helping us as clinicians become more informed. Yes. Because we're the ones on the front lines, you know, so when we get the phone calls, I may not know, like, I don't claim to be an expert in, in treating somebody that's going through a, a transgender crisis, mm -hmm. but I have a network and I know people who are that I can reach out to and say, hey, you know, I've got somebody that really needs to, to talk to you. Sure. And, and yes. understanding the questions to ask. I mean, this goes the same for physicians that are doing physical examinations on, on the appropriate language. So, you know, t having these wonderful experts come in and teach sensitivity training and pass it along to all of us, we are better equipped, you know, but it, it starts and ends with communication, which is what we're doing today. Um, percentage of U.S. adults with major depression, 7.1 or... 17.3 million. Yes. All right. That's enough with the statistics. When you put these numbers together and let's go back to, you know, so it's, it's pretty widely accepted that one out of every 10 people in the U S suffers from, um, what's called alcohol use disorder. That's the official terminology now. One out of 10, okay? One out of 10 suffer from substance use disorder. Okay, now when we start adding in these, you know, uh, the depression, anxiety, and now, now some of these people overlap, and that's what we call double trouble when there's a dual diagnosis, when somebody's got a diagnosis of depression and they're self-medicating with drugs or alcohol or some kind of addictive behavior. Now you've got to address both of those things. Yeah. So, and then on top Great of that, into that one, Ken. Yeah. And then on top of that, Sharon, the impact that has on the people around them. So for example, somebody who meets the criteria for the alcohol use disorder, and we say there's about 10% of the people in the U.S. that meet that criteria, they're going to have a major impact on no fewer than five other people. That's family members, that's people they're working with, working for, could be people in their churches, but they're going to have a significant impact. So do the numbers there. How many people are not affected somehow by a mental illness, an addiction, not very many of us. Not very, not many at all. I mean, I, I don't see. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't mean anybody that doesn't have something, right? And this is why 
Um, I, I love when we were talking before, you wish that it was called mental health yes. instead of mental illness, which you know, there's a day for that too. Okay, again, and a month. Yeah, so World Mental Health Day is on October 10th, which happens oh, to be the wedding anniversary. Yes. But I we, didn't know that. So yeah. once again, I got I got to plead ignorance even though I'm a mental health professional. It's because you're in the you're in the mix. You're actually treating people and helping them. You're not worried about like what month it is and what hashtag we could use. But it is so important that we have because like we were talking about before, if in fact a celebrity dies by suicide or is caught, you know, um, with drugs on them and is arrested, you know, all of a sudden the conversation starts happening. So right. we have to, we have to, you know, honor those days because really it's just, it's just an in. That's how I feel. It's just an in for me to go, hey, let's have a conversation about mental health. I want to talk to you about, um, you know, I am, am talking with a, a company tomorrow about mental health because of this week. It also brings it into corporate, right? Okay, well, now we're in COVID-19. We've had to shift everything that we're doing in our businesses. Everybody's gone virtual. We have to be able to talk about mental health because if there's anything that this pandemic has affected, for sure, if it's not your physical health that has affected your mental health. Absolutely. I don't care. Who, there's nobody in the world that it hasn't affected. Right. Honestly. So to be able to do that at a, a corporate level is bringing it to the masses. And that's really where, you know, change can be made because once we start making it okay with the police departments, with, you know, these huge corporations where we get to have conversations about, yes, once it was this way, even for me being an alcoholic and a drug addict, and now, you know, I'm, I'm not like, I mean, I am Ken, as you know, forever. Got it. But I'm not active in my addiction today. Right. Right. So um, I really am, well, I'm just glad. Like I get excited when I talk about these things because, you know, that toxic positivity that we were bringing up before, my, really my whole life, I've only heard, look at the bright side. Yeah. It could be worse. Right. There are starving children in Ethiopia. Uh, yeah, of course. And that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's something to be said about that because there, there are a lot of people that go into the poor me mm -hmm. more than they need to. Yes. Right? But there's a balance with it all. Yeah. The yeah. star, the, the infamous starving children in Africa. Yes. Uh, we don't even have to, what about the starving children in America? You know, <laughs> a lot of them so, right now. So it's an easy, it's an easy way to uh, accidentally minimize and rationalize and avoid the conversation. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, having these days, having these, these weeks, uh, it, it gives us a, a, a reason to have a conversation. But I, you know, at a grassroots level, and that, I believe that's where the change is going to take place. It's not, it isn't going to come from the top down. It's gotta, it's gotta happen from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. And it ha I have conversations with my neighbors on, on what I do. And I'm, I'm currently in a, a PhD program for clinical sexology. And if you want to see somebody, uh, avoid a conversation real fast, they know I'm a mental health professional and now I'm going to be a clinical <laughs> sexologist on top of it. It's like, oh my gosh, he talks about drugs, mental health, and sex. Stay away from him. 
Right. He is not a positive person. He well, it's not about positive. It's about it's uncomfortable. Of course, of course. I mean, for me, it's like the most comfortable. It's funny that you say that because it's the most comfortable thing in the world for me. You know, I'm like, ooh, as soon as you yeah. said pathology, I'm like, yes, let's talk about how uncomfortable everybody is talking about sex. But everybody, yeah, it is. Everything that is hard and intimate and is, is difficult to discuss and I'm, I'm just so glad that you are so open about it, you know, because believe me, I, you know, I get this, you know, I wrote a book about mental health, flip it over, because I don't want anybody to know that we're talking about mental health. Well, so th that book you just picked up, there's, there's a chapter in it that I know you have, everybody. yeah, that one, that one right there. My mom said that was the best book that was ever written. And your mom knows best. Well, she knew best. She's a smart, very wise woman. I, I. I say I got all my wisdom from my parents. So, mm -hmm. and it seems like as I got older, they got smarter. It was the weirdest thing. But there's a chapter in that book that's entitled, If It Feels Weird, Do It. And what it's about is that paradox of when we change, we have to go through a stage of discomfort. Mm -hmm. So getting comfortable or normalizing discomfort, because that's how we change and grow, is that we, if we continue to do what's comfortable, what's predictable, what's familiar, we're just doing the same old, same old. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, you know, being willing to step out of the box, being willing to step out into the unknown, a little bit of uncertainty, and having faith and trust in yourself, in humankind, that it'll be okay and you can make positive change. Yeah, I mean, vulnerability is real. You know, it helps so many people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Ken, we could talk for hours. I yeah. know this because we're talking about my favorite thing, which is, you know, the hard stuff. And um, I appreciate it so much. Is there, If there's one thing that you could leave the audience with today, if they are suffering from suicidal thoughts, depression, they're having issues in their relationship, you know, there's so much to contend with right now. People that are home and they're unhappy in their homes. What would you, what's the first thing that you would recommend? Well, I, I would recommend that they talk to somebody. And if they don't know where to start or they don't have any resources, call 211. Yes. That, that is a national hotline and referral service. Every, every local uh, community has a 211 line they will be able to refer you, even if you don't have money, they will be able to refer you to places where you can start that conversation. So it's, to me, the biggest step is the first step, and that's acknowledging that there's a problem, and I need to let somebody know about it that can help me with it. Yeah. So reaching out for help, and, and you know, those, those words, and I've, I've oftentimes been the first person that has, the, my clients have said the words and inevitably every time there has not ever been a time that I recall I ask them when we get done after that first session how are you feeling now and they say relieved better hopeful yeah so it's like getting that starting that conversation it's difficult to get get it started it's uncomfortable but that's the beginning of of creating mental health rather than mental illness. 
Right. Then the, the toolkit can be wide open for you and you provide all the resources of, of what they can do next as soon as they admit that they're having an issue. I mean, that's what it took for me. Are you having suicidal thoughts? Yes. Great. Let's get you the right help now. Yes. Yes. Started and with the therapist. Sometimes, sometimes, unfortunately, we, we, sometimes we have to be in a painful situation before we actually wake up. Yes. It's an interesting dynamic we have with pain is that we, we do everything we can to avoid it. And yet sometimes it catches up with us and it whacks us across the head and it wakes us up for a moment for us to realize like I, I'm in pain and I've been running from it and I don't want to run from it anymore. So what do I do? Where do I start? Well, you know, do ask Uncle Google, counselors <laughs> near me. Yes. Find a gazillion. Yes, there's so many resources. NAMI and the Tampa Bay Crisis Center and Celebrate Recovery and 12-Step Recovery. It goes on and on and on. And Ken Donaldson. Thank there's you. Plenty of resources out there. There are plenty of great books that you can read. Marry Yourself First. Say I Do to a Life of Passion, Power, Purpose, and Prosperity. I love all those Ps. Ken, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate what you do for others. And thank you, Sharon. Happy to be here and um, happy to come back anytime. Yes. Thank you. Don't forget to check out Thai Technology. Anyone that mentions this podcast or the Facebook show will receive three free months of service. T-I-E Technology. Check them out. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. We would love it if you subscribed. This way you'll get notified every time there's a new episode, which in fact are Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Please feel free to leave a review. It really helps us and we appreciate your support. Thank you.